Do you ever feel like a ship adrift at sea, where you're caught up in the chaotic quagmire, the quicksand of life, and aren't really able to find your bearings? We all find ourselves at times in that situation. So let's talk about this topic. Can you control the chaos? How to let go and flow? Especially in these uncertain and unpredictable times, we need to find that type of anchor that can help us navigate the unpredictable waves around us. Please join me. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and we will be speaking about a most relevant topic. Can you control the chaos? How to let go and flow? This program is dedicated by Robert Klein to Joseph Klein. May you find peace and happiness. I cannot tell you how many times I hear the following statement. I feel lost. I feel directionless, aimless. So much is going on in my life and I feel like I'm being completely engulfed and overwhelmed by the chaos. So I try to make it moment to moment, but overall, like a ship adrift at sea. Especially in these uncertain and unpredictable times, you sure can feel that way because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You know, you can say before... COVID, at least we had the illusion of control. We had our plans, our vacation plans, our travel plans, school, work, but then everything was disrupted. So especially in times like this, and really at all times, that big question can be asked. Can you control the chaos? Can you control all these circumstances around us that can really disorient us, demoralize us, and essentially make us feel like we're lost. So let's talk about how to let go and flow. Because the key to it all is not about controlling the chaos. It's learning how to navigate. And when you learn how to navigate, whatever comes your way, even the unpredictable, even the unknown, the uncertain, and even the setbacks and troubles become all part of your narrative and your capacity to navigate the waves. I use this example very often. I think it's very fitting. The difference between a good swimmer and a bad swimmer. So when things are calm and peaceful at sea, you can't really tell the difference, at least short term. But when things get somewhat shaky, a storm strikes and the waves begin to rise. And there's all kinds of unknowns. There you'll see the difference. The bad swimmer will become overwhelmed, will begin to thrash about, try to fight the tide, 
and often exhausts himself or herself and drain the strength and be very vulnerable, if not worse. What will a good swimmer do? A good swimmer is not going to fight the storm. Can't, you can't control that, but you can control how you're going to navigate it. A good swimmer will navigate the waves. If, you see a strong, if he or she sees a strong tide, you don't fight it. You ride with it. When it gets a little calmer or you see a somewhat of a lull in the storm, that's when you thrust forward. In other words, you learn to ride the waves. And that's the key difference in everything in life, psychologically as well. Because life is like a sea, an ocean. Now there are times when it's calm and things are peaceful. There are times when it's stormy and very stormy. We'll have setbacks. We'll have losses, deaths, unfortunately, tragedies, loss of a job, be fired. Relationships can be challenging and rocky. Sometimes the end of a relationship between spouses, between parents and children, between children and parents, between co-workers. I mean, just look at your life. It's never just a calm, flat line. It's filled with all kinds of twists and turns, ups and downs, trials and tribulations. The challenge is how to learn to navigate them. The mistake most people make, and especially in our day and age where we create, where we have the delusion, the illusion, that everything is solvable. You press a button, you have Amazon at your door in a half an hour. Everything is accessible all year round. And we're not really so-called um, subject to or victims of the seasons. You can order any fruit at any season. So that type of accessibility and availability creates the illusion that everything is possible. So in a way, when we're spoiled and we have a sense of entitlement, that does not teach us how to swim well. That teaches us how to take things for granted and be in our comfort zones. So when we're thrust out of our comfort zones and suddenly we have to navigate a situation that was not predictable, something you were not prepared for, that's where you suddenly realize, one second, I never learned how to swim well. So it's really about preparing in the years of plenty for the years of famine, which means when things are going well, you don't want to wait till the storm strikes. That, you don't wait. Strong trees or strong ships are built before the storm strikes. So when the storm was there, they know how to manage. So you want to prepare in times of calm for the, times of, of, for the stormy moments. And that's the key to it all. Now, it's interesting. There's a fascinating statement that we can learn a lot from. It says, a person should always be flexible like a reed and not inflexible and strong like a cedar. A cedar tree is a very powerful tree. Very strong. And you look at a reed that sways in the wind and you you say you can't even compare the two. But which one will survive the greatest storms? It will be the reed. Now, the cedar tree, if it has deep roots and its strength, can survive a lot. But because the reed is able to be flexible, it, can, it goes with the flow, it has far more resilience. I remember the first time we were in camp and they, we, we were going on a hike. And the counselor was you know, teaching us things. And we walked over a, uh, a, draw, a, um, a suspension bridge. 
It was a short suspension bridge, but it was a suspension bridge. And then later we walked on a regular rickety wooden bridge. And he said, you know the difference between the two? The suspension bridge was shaking when we walked on it, when cars or trucks drove over it. The wooden bridge didn't shake at all. He says, it's the suspension bridge that has more resilience and therefore can carry more weight because it allows the weight, it doesn't resist it. It, so to speak, goes with the flow. So it'll shake enough. It could feel a little scary, but it's really actually a benefit. They say also when you build skyscrapers, if you go up, up there, they, they sway slightly in the wind because if they didn't, if they stayed strong without any dexterity, they could be subject to unfortunate, a fortunate accent where strong winds can blow it down. So the key to all of this, counterintuitively, is the flexibility, the ability to draw back, the ability to adjust and, and to the wind or to the storm that actually gives you more power. The same is true in relationships and all psychological situations. Those people that don't, ha- that, that don't have that flexibility, so yes, there are times they can be very strong-willed and obstinate and maybe even prevail. But the ones that have that capacity to adjust, to reword their rephrase, to compromise, to be more flexible, are always the ones that will long-term prevail more, be able to coexist with others. So you may be right and be very strong in your position, but if you don't have that, uh, that so-called moisture, that flexibility of the reed, ultimately there will be clashes, and sometimes clashes that you will not be able to deal with. So it's not just about how strong we are. It's also how flexible we are. And actually the flexibility makes us stronger. Which again, most people from a purely mechanical point of view say, no, something is stronger, it's stronger. But we know today, today things are not measured, measured in size, in quantity, or in sheer power. There was a time where an army, a military, the ones with more soldiers, with more, with more um, people, and more weapons were stronger. Today we know that you can have smart weapons. You can have weapons that are far more subtle, but they're far more potent. Just as we know in the human body, that now that's on a cellular level, on a DNA level, things are far more powerful than on the more external level. And the same thing in physics. Subatomics, subatomic particles really define everything. And when you manipulate that, you have far more power. What is atomic energy, nuclear energy? It's being able to derive through fusion or fission an unbelievable potency and power, even from literally a follicle of hair. You say, what is, what is it? Because it's not purely about volume and size. We understand that there's a far deeper and more subtle forms. Those people that have that subtlety in communications, in relationships, are far more powerful than the ones that just are strong and stand inflexible in their position. So to go back to the topic at hand, any navigation, every, any journey in life, critical to have that navigational element, that adjustments that you make. I could, I could tell you as a speaker, when you speak to, to an audience, you have to always be ready to adjust. you communicating with the audience. You don't just go by a script. It's a, it's a living organism. It's a living, breathing organism. Exhale and inhale, an interaction. Even though the audience may not be speaking with their mouths, but they're speaking with their hearts and souls and with their eyes and with their faces and their reactions. So it's critical if you really want to connect 
You want to look at your audience and see what message they give back to you and, diff- and adjust accordingly. Because different audiences, you may have prepared one, one type of message and maybe it needs to be adjusted a bit. And that's what a good navigator does. Be able to navigate in situations. So even though, yes, on one hand you say, I want to read, my, I want to read straight from a script. I feel more secure doing so. Many people do that. Um, but if you really want to communicate heart to heart, there are times you need to know how to connect in that way. So it's a man, it's, it always comes down to that navigational capacity. And that we learn how to do, and I will discuss that now. How does one learn how to navigate? So the first thing is that you need to be comfortable with yourself. That good swimmer does not panic in times of a crisis or in times of chaos or a storm because he or she is confident in their skills and confident that I can do this. That confidence gives you a certain calm that allows you the presence of mind, the presence of heart, to not be to not be overwhelmed by the situation, but to navigate through it. You'll see also people who are great problem solvers. You can have a serious crisis, but they sit down, they dissect it, and they know if I break it down, I'm going to figure out where the problem is and try to correct it. Now, sometimes you can't always correct it, and that also should not destroy you because you need to adjust. Sometimes a business may go bankrupt. Sometimes something fails, and you learn to pick yourself up. You learn from the mistakes, and you build it much better the next time. All that is part of navigation. So the first thing is building confidence in what you do. You'll say, one second, I may not have confidence in a given area. So bring in an expert, bring in a friend, bring in someone you trust. Let them advise. Don't allow yourself to be subject just to your own subjectivity because that can blind you and you can just make your mistakes and then your pride will not allow you to acknowledge you made mistakes. You make bigger mistakes. And, and, and what they say is good money follows bad money. So your good energy follows the mistakes you've made and you just dig yourself a deeper hole, it becomes a vicious cycle. Whereas if you get advice, and that's point number two, confidence, advice, counsel, mentorship, direction, it helps you look at things more objectively. You have a problem? Don't just try to solve it yourself. What do they say? It was Einstein, whoever said it, a problem cannot be solved from the same place where the problem was created. And the problem may be, you may be part of it, or at least your situation is part of it. So you need fresh air, another perspective. So that's number two. Number three, find a mentor that knows how to navigate. Learn from the best. It's called apprenticeship. It's called residency in medicine. You learn from those that are good. And that's what people do when they go to work. Find a veteran, someone that you say, oh, wow. You see this everywhere. You see it in sports. You see it in entertainment, you see it in business, in politics. There's something that, a certain seasoning, a certain experience that comes with time that people learn from trial and error. Learn from these people. Don't think you have to do it by yourself. You don't have to repeat the same mistakes. You don't have to recreate the wheel. Anything you're doing in life, look at those that have done it. Now, you may do it even better than them, but you learn from the best methods, approaches, avoiding common mistakes you'll still have to learn on your own plenty of mistakes every one of us makes which brings me to point number four which is learn from your mistakes don't repeat them i manage different people in my organizations and people make mistakes sometimes bad mistakes and your first temptation and reaction is you want to really yell at them say how could you do such a thing such a stupid thing instead say look 
let's let's together sit down and figure out what was done wrong. And, and next time, don't do it again. Do it better. And I always say, if you do it a second time, that you're going to be far more accountable for because you've already learned from the first one. Don't cover up on your mistakes. Don't, don't try to ignore them and say, oh, you know what, okay, it was a fluke. No, learn from them. So the next time you come into that very same situation, you'll do it differently. That means growth. That means learning. I remember reading somewhere, there was a, some major comp- corporation they hired a new vice president. They made some decisions, bad decisions, and it cost the company millions of dollars. Seriously, a lot of money. He was called in by his superior, and he thought this was it. He's getting the axe. He's going to be fired. It was a serious amount of money. And to his surprise, his boss tells him, the, let's say it's a $5 million mistake. He says, we've now paid $5 million for your experience. So we basically invested in you. And he says he sure learned from that. Besides the confidence, the vote of confidence, he learned how to look at things. And he became a major force in the company, brought the millions, many more, that, that, the millions that were lost was well worth it. It was an education. Now, of course, you have to know when to hold them, when to fold them. It's not always that simple. Sometimes it's more complicated, but it's always important to recognize that errors are part of the narrative. Errors are part of growth. Don't look at them as an end in themselves and feeling really bad about it. What will I learn from it? What will I, I'll do something different. And then when you look back, you see what you've learned far overweighs the error itself when indeed it's harnessed and a liability is turned into an asset. So those are several things that one does to learn how to navigate. And the truth is, there's an overarching concept, which I've introduced a number of times. It's called bittel. It's a Hebrew word used a lot in Hasidic te- in terminology in Hasidic texts. It's uh, it transliterated as B-I-T-T-U-L. It's hard to translate. Maybe the concept is not really one that is socially, <laughs> in the secular world, so popular. It's a combination of humility, modesty. But the best, best way to really describe it, it's a form of suspending yourself in face of something greater than yourself. It's putting yourself aside, like listening to a master. So you, you don't just bring in all your intelligence and be arrogant. You know you recognize your place and you listen. You absorb. And this is a critical ingredient in, and formula in anything in life, especially when navigating chaos, when how to go, to go with the flow. It's taking yourself out of the equation in the sense like, I have to solve everything, and right now. No. It's stepping back and allowing the situation to, to uh, allowing yourself to ride with the flow, ride the waves. That's a form, going back to what we spoke earlier about resilience, about the flexibility, that's a form of bittal. It's not just standing strong with your position. It's looking at the situation and saying, how do I adjust? This is a critical component in anything in life, but especially when navigating chaos, because it is the arrogant person. It is the person that's so convinced that they're right. So at times they may be right, but at times they may not be. And that's the one that will fall fastest because he's not able to adjust. He's not able to step back. If he's wrong, either he won't even acknowledge it, I can't be wrong, or he gets so demoralized, can't move forward. The bitl allows you that, that breathing room, allows that, that space that is always necessary in any situation. I remember reading once about um, 
how boxing, of all things, affects the brain. When you keep hitting the, when people punch each other and they keep hitting it, because the brain is encased inside the skull, but there's space between the brain and the skull. It's not going straight to the edge, because the brain should have some form of like, it almost like floats. Not literally floats, but there's space. So, for example, someone strikes you, the brain has the ability to adjust accordingly. If the brain went all the way to the edge of the skull, someone strikes you in a way the brain would not have that ability. So it's important to have that dexterity that's critical in life. And that is a form of bittal. In case of nature, that's the way things were created, that everything has that flexibility of the reed. But when it comes to our psychological choices and the decisions we make in our lives, it's critical to have that ability to adjust. Adjustment is key to everything. You know, they, uh, you talk about it in every particular context. I think this may be urban legend, but they say one of the great violinists, maybe Isaac Perlman or someone that once was playing violin and one of the strings cracked. But he continued playing and no one noticed. Now, as they say, that's not possible, but the concept at least, let me tell you the urban legend at least. And he continued to play. What he did was adjust. He adjusted to it. And he learned how to play. Someone else would have become flustered and would have said, you know, let's stop, or I need to replace my violin. So again, whether it happened or not, I don't know. But the idea is constant. You see this continuously, how people adjust. The adjusters are the ones that last, that prevail. Because no matter what happens, they know how to make, to move and adjust accordingly. And that goes back to that simple, that principle of bittal. So there are many ways, some of them I've mentioned, and there's definitely more that teach you how to navigate, to teach you how to go with the flow. And that's how we end up controlling the chaos. We don't control the chaos by fighting it. We don't control the chaos by thinking we can predict the future and controlling the future. No, whatever comes our way, there are many things that may come our way that we can't control. You may plan for the best, and you know what? It didn't work out exactly as you planned. What do you do then? So you may only have a plan A. You always have a plan B, and you always have a plan C. I remember reading a book called Swimming, Swimming with the Sharks. I think it was McKay. I forgot what his name was. Michael McKay. Not Michael. Something maybe John McKay or uh, Richard. Anyway, it was like a business advice book, and he was speaking about how to, many interesting ideas, how to get fired. If you're going to get fired, here's how. And he brought a lesson from baseball, from the Yankees. So everyone knows back then, those that remember George Steinbrenner was the owner of the Yankees, and uh, Billy Martin was the manager. They had this love-hate relationship. I don't know how many times he fired him and how many times he hired and rehired him. Steinbrenner, when the Yankees were winning, great. When they were losing, he would mouth off. He would go over, uh, over, uh, over um, Billy Martin's head, talk to the media. And, you know, that was his style. He was a very tough guy, bullying him. Anyway... One of the times he fires Billy Martin and, and in this place hires Yogi Berra, yeah, the famed Yankee catcher. Yogi Berra became manager. He comes into the manager's office and he sees on the desk two envelopes from Billy Martin, the previous manager. Envelope number one, he's about to open. It says, open only in case of emergency. Okay, so he's not opening it. There's no emergency. Then the second envelope, open in case of emergency number two. Fine. So he leaves the envelopes. He respects that. And things are going well. The Yankees start winning. Steinbrenner is happy. But then the Yankees begin to lose. Steinbrenner begins to mouth off, fuming. 
criticizing. And it's about, the rumor is, Steinberg is about to ask about to fire Yogi Bear. Yogi Bear runs into the manager's office, opens up envelope number one. And it says, one line, blame it all on me, signed Billy Martin. So Yogi Bear calls a press conference, and he blames it all. He says that the Yankees are still under the discipline of the previous manager, and, and we need to change the discipline. It takes a little more time. It gave him another excuse to buy time. Steinbrenner calmed down a bit, and the Yankees began to win. Great. Okay. Time passes. The Yankees are losing again. There we go. Steinbrenner is beginning again to, uh, to, uh, to uh, mouth off and criticize. The rumors are flying. Bear is about to be fired. He runs in to the office to open up envelope number two. <laughs> Prepare two envelopes. Signed, Billy Martin. So, so McKay is writing, that's how you get fired. You, you prepare with a little sense of humor. Nobody likes to be fired. It's very humiliating. It's very demoralizing. But you prepare. This is called navigating. Sometimes humor works. Yeah, humor. Humor takes off the edge, gets a, creates a little more pleasantness, and always an attitude like that helps one get through situations. So you see, my friends, no matter what comes your way, you have the power to really control not your circumstances. You control how to navigate, what you'll do about it. I remember we once planned a summer weekend retreat. It was camping retreat. Now camping, you know, you're always subject to the elements. Anything can happen. The rain, etc. I mean, there's no snow in the summer here in this part of the world. Rain. And I remember writing an article then because it rained terribly one of the camping retreats. And I wrote an article, wrote, we cannot control the weather. which means we can't control the weather, but I also used weather in the context of W-H-E-T-H-E-R. We can control the weather. We can't control whether this will happen or that will happen. We can control what we're going to do about it. And it's a tremendous lesson in life. There are many things that we are not in our control. It's not in control whether you have brown eyes or blue eyes, or how tall or short you are, or other factors that are built into our very wiring and systems. Our life circumstances, what families we were born into, things that happened to us, a loss, a tragedy. We're not talking about a human error right now. We can't control the weather, whether this will happen, whether that will happen, but you can control how, how and what you're going to do about it. And that's a critical lesson in life because when you look at a situation, distinguish between the two. This is the circumstance, what am I going to do about it? And that is the most empowering element in learning how to navigate, how to go with the flow. So no matter what happens, whether it's chaos, crisis, setbacks, anything that could be disturbing. So I'm not suggesting we don't get disturbed. We all will be affected by circumstances. But the question is what happens next? What happens next should make you stronger and greater. And actually as the waves rise, if you don't fight them, you rise with them as well. Why? Because challenges become assets. Every setback could become the springboard for far greater growth. And we take that attitude to life, you will see, besides the confidence and the optimism, that alone is critical. Because if you give up, as I mentioned earlier, if you, don't have, you give up, that alone becomes part of the crisis. So look at the challenge, contain it, Analyze it and say, what can I do? Things I cannot do, I leave alone. Don't agonize and stress 
over things you can't control? What can I do? How do I turn it into a, an asset? It may take sometimes time. Sometimes we need to grieve over a loss. I mean, there are very tragic events that happen, God forbid, in life, and nobody should ever know of it. We should all be protected. So there's a time also to, that's also going with the flow, allowing yourself to grieve, allowing yourself to mourn, allowing yourself the right to be able to just cry over the situation. But you don't want to stay there. Then you want to turn those tears into seeds for growth. Those that sow in tears will reap in joy. Tears also become, they're, they're liquid, they're water. They allow things to grow. So there's a time for tears, as in tears, there's a time for letting them manifest and help things grow. So we should all be blessed with the calmest type of life, but life as we know is never completely calm. Everyone is going to go through some form of um, change and shifts, the different transitions in life, rites of passage. Every passage is going to be sometimes painful to extent because when you go away from one comfort zone and you move into another paradigm, that shift is always a little uncomfortable. That's, why it makes, that's what makes it so new and fresh. But see it as a new opening, like the egg that's cracking in order to let a new life, a chick, emerge. And everyone be blessed with the least amount of agony, the least amount of aggravation. And that which comes your way, learn how to navigate. You have all the strengths you need within you. Reach out to others and the other suggestions I made earlier. This has been Simon Jacobson, Meaningful Life Center. Meaningfullife.com is our website where you can find our full schedule and a wide array of materials, easily navigatable, easily found, just look for a keyword. I'd love to hear feedback, thoughts, suggestions. And if you found this valuable, please share this. Pay it forward, share it with others, and please stay in touch. It's a great honor to always be sharing a few words with you, and I'd love to hear back from you. Again, Simon Jacobson, MeaningfulLife.com. Thank you so much. I will add... I will add, speaking that we're at the end of the year, I would like to invite you and encourage you to help us support our work. We are still have the campaign open called giftofmeaning.com. Please go there, giftofmeaning.com, and, and, and uh, support us with a generous contribution. It's all tax deductible. It's the time of year which, where we reach out for that request. And thank you. I thank you in ahead of time for your support and your partnership. Thank you again. Be well. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.